0: around the world with VT's Dr. Kevin Barrett right here, right now on
1: VT Radio. Let's go with host Johnny Punish.
0: And we're back on VT Radio with the fantastic Dr. Kevin Barrett all the way in Morocco. Dr. Barrett, how you doing today? I'm well, John. How are you I am absolutely fantastic. Almost as good as you. Obviously, you made your move to Morocco. I'm sure all the fans on VT want to hear all about it. Uh, I mean, you obviously made a major life change going from Wisconsin to Morocco, you know, from a, an American culture in the north where it's cold to the North African coast where it's nice and warm. Uh, tell us all about it. how this happened? What's happening? Are you happy? What's going on?
1: Well, I haven't had time to take a breath and, figure out really whether I'm happy but actually no it's I'm, I'm uh, doing pretty well we're happy to be here we're really blessed with a beautiful place and you know God made an opening for us uh, alhamdulillah, uh, to come here it was kind of a, an amazing uh, series of events that led us here with a, you know we were thinking of ways to get to a more warmer climate uh, but not I wasn't 100% serious about it because we had a, a really good sort of rural homestead out in Wisconsin River Country. Uh, we've been doing permaculture as part of our non-profit project for 20 years, and we're really ensconced there. And I was very comfortable there, but uh, my wife was thinking that it would be nice to go someplace without Siberian winters. Uh, and we went to various places and ended up Um, being kind of charmed by Sevilla, Morocco, where my wife had had wonderful vacations as a little girl. It's a beach town at the Moroccan-Algerian border uh, on the Mediterranean, considered one of the best beaches on the Mediterranean. And we looked at various properties here in March. I wasn't satisfied. I was remotely satisfied with anything we saw from the real estate people showing us the properties. So we decided to forget about buying anything and take a walk to the beach. And as we got very close to the beach, uh, my wife said something like, she looked at this beautiful house and said, oh, you know, why couldn't we have a nice villa like that? The guy, some guy shows up in his car, steps out, and my wife randomly says to him, is this house for sale? And he stops and thinks about it, and he says, yeah, this villa, come on in, let's have some tea. And so that led to actually us buying that particular house.
0: <laughs> so uh, it's all by a lot. Wow. Uh, just out of curiosity, are, are the prices different there than Wisconsin? Is it lower? Is it higher?
1: Yeah, everything here is considerably lower than in the U.S. So it's, for instance, we just had the Moroccan equivalent of an all-you-can-eat fish fry yesterday. Uh, fried sardines, a roasted sort of roasted oil and roasted sardines. It's really good. and a full meal. Ended up being uh, $4 per person for a very good, uh, delicious and nutritious meal. Uh, you can get shish kebab dinners for maybe, you know, a really, really good mishweek for, you know, 5 or $6 a person. And you can get a, like a eight course uh, seafood, you know, dinner fit for a king for $10 per person. Um, the cat taxi rides all the way across town is uh, about $30 to what is it, 30, no, 3 or $4. Uh, and the bus service is very pretty. It's, it's not a million buses, but there's a good bus service near us for about $0.50, for 50 cents a ride. So I will not have to have the car. So our expenses here look like
0: ultimately they should be considerably lower. That's one of the attractions, of course. So you say it sounds like United States prices, 1980. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. And and
1: some of the the quality varies. Like certain kinds of items, the quality here is is lower. They have import duties and stuff. Uh, But other things like the fruits and vegetables are tastier, much tastier than what you can ordinarily find in the U.S. Uh, The Berkhan region here in Eastern Morocco is one of the world's best places for growing fruits and vegetables. So They're they're well known for uh, really, really tasty produce. And then there's the Mediterranean fish, of course. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of very high-quality stuff here.
0: Yeah, I was just uh, looking up Morocco. I just noticed they have the mountains, the Atlas Mountains south of you, uh, where they actually have snow in a Swiss place called Ifran, Ifran I think it's called. Uh, so Morocco's not just one thing. It's not just some desert. It's, it's not like that, is it?
1: No, they, they've got uh, basically three mountain ranges, the Reef Mountains in the north, and then there's the Middle Atlas and then the High Atlas. Uh, so with three mountain ranges, an ocean, and and the Mediterranean, uh, with of course desert as you go south and inland, uh, there are a lot of different climate zones. And where we are, it's a bit like Baja, actually, where you are. It's it's kind of hot and dry and with the Mediterranean climate.
0: Right, right. Now, let me ask a political question about Morocco. In the south of Morocco, my understanding is there's a disputed land area between Morocco and Mauritania. Um, Are you familiar with that? Is that something that's still going on?
1: Well, it's not so much a dispute between Morocco and Mauritania. I guess there is some some of that, but the the real dispute is more between Morocco and Algeria uh, and, to some extent, Spain. Uh, and that's, of course, this whole question of the so-called Western Sahara, which from the Moroccan perspective has been an indelible part of Morocco pretty much ever since there's been Morocco. And in the Western press, and especially sort of the left-wing side, you see a lot of sympathy for the separatists of the Sahara. But I think that's, honestly, on this question, I think the Moroccans have by far the better argument The situation was that this Sahara region has always been part of, essentially, Morocco. The people who live there are ethnically completely indistinguishable from other Moroccans. That is, Morocco has a number of different ethnic groups and languages, but the language of scholarship and learning everywhere is Arabic. And you have these different sorts of tribal groups. And the ones that happen to be in that part of Morocco are really no different from other Moroccans than Moroccans are other Moroccans, right? So, so what happened historically was that Spain colonized that, uh, that part of Morocco and when Spain left, uh, Spain didn't want to allow Morocco to recapture that land because it would mean a more powerful Morocco and the same is true for Algeria. Uh, Algeria uh, likewise, wanted access to the resources of that area. So even though there were only 70,000 70, people in this sparsely inhabited, resource-rich strip of land, uh, the, the, the Algerians primarily, with support from the Spanish and various others, uh, created this Polisario uh, independence movement and made it a huge thorn in the side of Morocco, uh, and it's, it still is to some extent to this day. And in fact, this this campaign basically to try to divide and conquer by keeping Morocco split up and small, uh, it, it, it continues to this day. And that's where they got the leverage to try. Yeah, that's where the Americans and the Zionists got the leverage to, to force Morocco basically to go along with these uh, ridiculous uh, normalization, accords with the Zionist entity. So if, if people would stop pursuing this insane idea that this, you know, originally 70,000 people in southern Morocco should have their own country so that their resources could be exploited by big international corporations, as well as the Algerian and European governments, people would just drop that and let all of Morocco be Morocco. Morocco wouldn't have to do this stuff by knuckling under to Trump and, and uh, his, his Zionist friends uh, with those, uh, that normalization process.
0: Right, right. Now, explain to me more, uh, in, in the north of uh, Morocco, there's two small cities on the coast that are owned by Spain? How, how does that actually work? I mean, what's that about? Quetta and something like that? Yeah. Can you explain that, please? It's, it's, right. You know, the
1: colonial past has never really ended. Uh, all, much of North Africa was conquered by the Europeans during the past century, century, and more than a century and a half in terms of almost two centuries, speaking of Algeria uh, and the Europeans were pretty rural. The worst, most rural conquerors of North Africa were the Italians who committed what can only be called a genocide in Libya. But the French were just about as bad in Algeria and uh, it took you know, basically a million Algerians died to liberate their country in the war for independence against France.
0: Morocco was also colonized partly by France
1: and partly by Spain. And Morocco won its independence through political means, uh, not not by revolutionary war, as in Algeria. So Morocco had to liberate itself from a Spanish occupation in the north, from a French occupation in uh, most of the country, and then from a Spanish occupation in the far south. And today, the Spanish still haven't left parts of Morocco. They haven't. The Septa, the Septa and Melilla are both still occupied by Spain, as are various islands off the Moroccan coast.
0: Yeah. When I when I was in Spain uh, last year, uh, I saw, where was I? I was in Malaga and it was a, a sign that said uh, freeway to Spain, uh, To excuse me, to Morocco. I'm like, what? What the heck? Of course, it's not connected by a freeway, but I think they were talking about the ferry that goes from Malaga to, I guess, Cueta, I guess, and it goes to another part of Spain. It, so I, I, that's what got my curiosity. I was like, I was like, "What is this about?" And, and I was very confused by that. So, but yeah, you explained it very well. That uh, it's obviously colonial. Uh, exp- it's it's for their import and export of their uh, goods. Is That what that's for? Uh,
1: well, I,
0: I don't know. I, I think
1: yeah, I think people are making money from it, but it's really just a, a colonial hangover. You now, why Spain thought that it was okay to keep those ports when they gave back most of what they had stolen from Morocco? I really don't know, um, but you know, I, I think it was just that they could, so they
0: did. Well, super interesting. Okay, uh, Kevin, I want to ask you a few things. I know you've been busy moving around the world, uh, but a couple things have been happening while you've been gone. Uh, well, first, in Israel, they're, they're, they're actually revolting in Israel about uh, uh, their democracy. They're trying to get rid of the Supreme Court because uh, Netanyahu doesn't agree with them. Uh, have you heard anything about that? Well,
1: yeah, I actually had to comment on that, I guess, on Press TV a while back, but I I haven't really been keeping up with the situation closely. But of course, what's going on here is that Netanyahu and his coalition of ultra-radical fanatical genocidalists are basically trying to grab total power, and the old Zionist elite is trying to stop them.
0: Right. Now, so... uh Speaking of democracy, Kevin, I want to get your take. In the United States uh, last week, uh, Donald Trump was indicted uh, by the by the feds for uh, actions he took uh, for two months previous to January 6th and January 6th to overthrow the election. Um, and right now he's uh, posting on a uh, truth social that, uh, you know, if you come after me, I'm coming after you. He's threatening people. He's threatening Mike Pence. What do you know about what's going on and, and what's happening behind the scenes there? What's going on? You see it from the outside now, from Morocco, looking at the United States. How does it look to you, my friend?
1: Well, it looks like the United States is becoming a failed state. It's uh, really on the brink of some kind of civil war. And there's a constitutional crisis with a guy who's very likely to be elected president. I would say Trump is probably the front runner for president in 2024. And yet, he may be running from prison. Uh, like Eugene Debs did.
0: I saw Ron Williams
1: just publish a new piece comparing Trump to Eugene Debs, which I'm sure the leftists will not appreciate. Uh, But both sides are not particularly respectful of the rule of law. Uh, They're they're both uh, willing to do what it takes to grab power. And when you have that kind of situation where nobody's playing by the rules anymore, that's a recipe for a failed state. And I I think a lot of folks don't realize that it isn't just Trump. Who doesn't play by the rules? If anything, I think the Biden side is even worse. Um, these prosecutions of Trump are, as as the polls show, the majority of Americans understand that these are political prosecutions. That really, certainly, none of these prosecutions would happen uh, if Trump weren't somebody that the federal government was is out to get. You know, these are maybe some of them have some substance, although I'm not so sure. Uh, but obviously, this you know Trump. Felt that he, the election was stolen. Uh, there's there's no real evidence that he consciously knew that he lost and simply purposely lied about it. Uh, and in fact, there's all sorts of evidence that American elections are systematically rigged and that all kinds of election fraud occurs. The 2004 election was blatantly stolen from John Kerry, as so many people have said, including uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So. Um, the fact that Trump is complaining about a stolen election really should let the Democrats, who are the biggest victims of election fraud, to agree with Trump that we need to radically reform our elections. We need a hand counted paper ballots counted full, with full transparency, and we could have transparent and honest elections like other, many other countries do, but the Democrats aren't interested in that because they simply want to remain in power. Uh, the anti-Trump people know that these are political tr- prosecutions, and they're in favor of them. Uh, that they, they know the purpose of these prosecutions is to keep Trump out of power, and they they like that. So again, both neither side is playing by the rules, and if anything, the anti-Trump side is considerably worse at this point. Again, a recipe for a failed state where nobody respects the law, nobody respects justice, everybody's just out of power. So you know, might as well be a banana republic.
0: Right, incredible. Yeah, you know. Uh... I don't know what the solution is. I guess there is none. Uh, I guess uh, I'm I'm, I'm nervous that it's going to break and break bad. And, you know, bad things are going to happen if that happens. There's a lot of consequences if the U.S. fails miserably uh, politically like this uh, down the road and it breaks. Uh, There's economic harm that goes around the world. Um, A lot of people are going to get hurt. This is not funny. This is actually quite scary. So, you know, if this was a small little country breaking, eh, you know, no big deal. Honduras – you know, went back to dictatorship, but, you know, it's not good. But, but if the U S goes to something like that, uh, we're, in tr- we're all in trouble. What do you say about what say? what says you?
1: Well, yeah, I, I think Malcolm X, when he made that comment about the JFK assassination, being the chickens coming home to roost uh, would, would say the same thing today. That is the U S has been not just watching as these small states fail. The U S has been creating failed states. The U S has been deliberately destabilizing other countries And deliberately sparking the same kind of ultra-polarization to try to collapse governments that it doesn't like uh, all over the world. The United States has created massive misery in country after country ever since World War II. Take Russia, for example. The U.S. created a failed state in the 1990s in Russia. It was a a desperate situation. They lost 10 years of male life expectancy, which normally you only see when a country is defeated in war. It's, It's nearly a genocide. The U.S. imposed a near genocide on Russia in the 1990s, and that's just one of the so many examples of the U.S. just destroying other countries and other societies. Well, it looks
0: like it might happen right now in
1: the U.S. And, again, it's the chickens coming home to roost.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible uh, thing what's going on in the States. You know, I talk to my friends. I have friends on the left, friends on the right. They're so far apart. I mean, each one has been, in my view, uh, buying their their mainstream media take on the issue, and they're just so far apart. It just there's no reconciliation that I can see. I mean, completely different directions. So that scares me. That sounds to me a lot like 1850, maybe at the time of Lincoln. We, you know, th- those arguments were going around, and people just weren't agreeing on anything. And uh, that scares me because it, it it bodes poorly if they can't put it together and put this to bed soon. That it's going to end up even worse. Um, so I'm scared of the Civil War. And if that happens, now what, Kevin? Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons I left, is that, honestly, I don't really
1: like any of these tendencies enough to say, hey, I want to stay here and fight in the upcoming Civil War, um, you know, the red side, the blue side, what have you. Uh, if anything, it's, it's funny, you know, most of my life, I've you know, like on, on the little World Shortest political test, I come out as a left libertarian, uh, I always tended to think the Republicans were worse than the Democrats in terms of you know, handing total power to a super-rich elite and not respecting the rule of law and things like that. But I don't think that's true anymore. At this point, uh, I, I just don't, I don't like either side. And frankly, there are some things on the populist sort of Trump side of things that I actually like better. Than, for instance, the resistance to this psychotic war on Russia, which is very likely to lead to a nuclear World War III Democrats are pushing that much harder than Republicans. The only dissent is coming from the Republican side and people like Trump. So honestly, uh, if you had to pick one side or the other now, I think the red side looks a little better than the blue side because there are at least some people on the red side uh, that are less than eager to irradiate the planet in World War III. Uh, But I don't particularly like Trump that either. Trump is obviously not a uh, kind of heroic principle leader. And then even when we find somebody with tremendous potential like R.F.K. Jr., uh, he spouts the most insane, lionish rhetoric that you've ever heard. And so there's really nobody in America right now that I'm ready to line up behind and march off into the Civil War. <laughs> so uh, I'm happy to be hanging out here on the beach in Morocco and let you
0: guys deal with it. <laughs> Not me, my friend. <laughs> I'm in Mexico, <laughs> and I'm leaving. <laughs> and I'm moving <laughs> to England more south. The farther away from the border, the better for me. Um, yeah, I look. I, I've been out of the United States for 25 years, and uh, it just didn't work for me. So that's okay. I'm not saying it's bad, but uh, it doesn't look good. I, when I talk to my friends in the U.S. and my family that lives there, none of them are happy. They're all miserable. The prices are too high. It's stress is too high. The politics suck. Um, yeah, it's a miserable. You know, just go grow money, grab and run. You know, I, I have some friends that want to retire. I'll give you an example. Uh, my friend uh, Ray, he's I've uh, known him for thirty years, maybe longer, thirty five years I think, and uh, he would never move to Mexico. And then I get a phone call out of the blue, "Hey, uh, I'm thinking to move to Mexico." I'm like, "What are you talking about? You hate Mexico, but he hates what's happening in the U.S. so badly. This is an average Joe. I mean, this, is, this guy's got this guy's got a government job. He's just he's not like he's not a revolutionary or a provocateur or a VT writer. This guy's just a you know average dude making a buck and you know getting his pension. And even he's going to leave the U.S. Uh, He's fed up. He goes, I can't afford it. I hate the politics. I'm out of here. So, you know, him and I are traveling down to La Paz uh, next month. I'm going to show him around uh, La Paz, Mexico, where a lot of the uh, Americans are going now and kind of show him around and say, you know, look, don't fear Mexico. It's, It's the United States without the politics. Here in Mexico, we have Costco. We have Walmart. We have Subway sandwiches. We have Burger King. You want McDonald's? We got McDonald's. Um, They have everything except the politics. Uh, Instead, they have a more of a laissez-faire type of thing, you know, manana type of attitude and just, hey, relax and chill. So, you know, Mexico's a good place. I have a feeling Morocco's a lot like that, where everybody's just more chill. Is that that about right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Morocco is way more chill
1: than America.
0: In some ways, almost too chill sometimes.
1: But it's I'll I'll take it.
0: (laughs) It's a little slow, right? Well, yeah, I I mean –
1: it can be, you know, that Morocco is, is famous for a lot of guys spending a lot of time in cafes and that works for me. <laughs> so I can actually work in cafes. I mean, I, I can go have a pretty decent espresso for, you know, for like 75 cents or a dollar or whatever, sit there all day, do my work in the cafe and hang out with all these other guys, and maybe watch a soccer game or whatever. And the fact that a lot of guys are chilling yeah. in the cafe rather than putting their nose to the grindstone
0: doesn't really bother me. Well, actually, Arabs are famous for talking politics in their cafes, so I think that would fit right up your alley. Oh, yeah. If they knew who you were, oh, yeah. um, I'm sure they'd love to engage you and, and, and really find out what's really going on, because uh, you got a lot of the inside scoop, you know? That'd be fun.
1: Yeah, well, I'm revving up my Moroccan Arabic, which is called Darisha, and uh, it isn't quite at the point of talking politics yet, uh, but it's, it's getting there.
0: Yeah, well, my Arabic is uh, Palestinian Arabic, which is a different dialect, right? So I'm nervous to go to Morocco and speak Arabic because a lot of the vocabulary is different, right? So I'm going to be a fish out of water over there. You're going to have to teach me.
1: Yeah, so it's,
0: uh, it's Moroccan versus Palestinian
1: is, is about as different as, say, French versus Canadian. Right. <laughs> <about
0: worse. laughs> Something like that. That's about right. Yeah, but I actually have a friend down the street. He's from Morocco. He's actually from, uh, where's he from? Fez, I think. And uh, so I'm going to talk to him first, so I'll start speaking with him. So when I come down to visit you, I'll, I'll be in Paris on December 11th, uh, and I'm hoping to pass by Morocco probably in uh, February or March. I'll be in the EU for three months and uh, traveling around and uh, going to the Middle East as well, doing some reporting. So I'm definitely going to come see you, Kevin, and I'm definitely going to have some coffee with you in the cafe, and we're going to talk politics uh, but only for like five minutes, just so we can have fun. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Can't wait to see you there, Johnny.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, perfect. Hey, Kevin, uh, uh, since you, uh, are, I got you here for a few more minutes, tell all the listeners around the VT world uh, you know what, how it's best to reach you, how, what's best to support what you're doing, your work, your Substack. Tell us all about that stuff.
1: Well, you can find me by way of my Substack, KevinBarrett.substack.com. And once you're subscribed there, you can easily uh, contact me through the Substack. uh, And then you can also follow what I do at various places, including BT, where I'm going to start posting again. I've been out of action for
0: two and a half weeks with
1: no decent internet. Just got the internet hooked up today, so I should be back at BT soon. Uh, But again, the Substack is really the the best place. Then there's also truthjihad.com, and my email is truthjihad at gmail.com. And if you want to make a donation to my work, you can do, go to PayPal, and you can PayPal to that, uh, truthg- uh, com.
0: Fantastic. You know, I also get your newsletter. So uh, those of you out there, make sure you sign up for the newsletter because Kevin does share intimate things, what's happening uh, behind the scenes on his newsletter, which is really great to keep in touch with Kevin that way. So don't forget to sign up for his newsletter. Uh, on the VT side, of course, please support us. Uh, we, we do a lot of work here. Uh, you know, we barely get any money from advertisers. I mean, obviously, we're banned from everybody. So uh, if you could support us with buymeacoffee.com, it's on our website. Just click on that and either make a one-time donation or join our membership for $8 a month. And and please contribute because if you like independent voices, if you want to hear from uh, independent international writers all over the world, please support us. It's very important uh, because we're not mainstream media. We don't uh, get CNN money or MSNBC money or... Fox News money, we get no money. <laughs> we, we get banned from those people. So uh, help us out. I appreciate it. It, it pays for the, the, the podcast here and pays for the servers and things like that. So on that note, Kevin, I want to wish you a terrific day. Uh, as they say, Allah uh, ma'ak and ma'asalami uh, and uh, have a good day. Okay, my friend. Okay. Ma'asalami.
1: If you enjoyed this presentation, hit the like button now. Also, share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. VT approves this message.